It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. This is the last saying that we're looking at in the series we've been in called Good Sayings, God Bad. We'll be starting a new series next week in Luke chapter 6 called Against the Grain, where we'll be looking at some of the teachings of Jesus Christ and how what he calls us to really goes against the grain of our own instincts as well as our culture. But for today, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. We've all heard that before, right? Some of you have had that said to you. Some of you have maybe even said that to others at times in your life. It sounds good. It sounds fair. It sounds inclusive. But under greater scrutiny and objective reasoning, it doesn't even really make sense. Like even if you just dissect the phrase a little bit, like it doesn't really matter unless, right? Wait, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. As long as, oh, wait, there's a condition, okay? So it doesn't really matter. Matter to who? You know, why? Uh, you know, what you believe, you know, you're free to believe whatever, but as long as you're sincere, and sincerity is a moral characteristic. And so if you're not sincere, that's bad. If you are sincere, that's good. Now there's good and bad in the very statement itself, which makes the statement sort of a contradiction if it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And so this is kind of where you can go around and around a little bit. And as long as you... Um, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere is a phrase that is often used to communicate that as long as you believe in something, specifically something religious, right? Whatever religion you have, um, you're good. It's what I would call food court theology. When you walk into a food court, you're like, well, what, what just sounds good today? Like, what, what am I in the mood for? And a lot of people look at the landscape of what religious beliefs are out there, from atheism to, you know, name your flavor, and go, like, what am I in the mood for? What, what sounds good to me? And then you just get to pick the one that you like, and then we live in a world that says, well, it doesn't really matter what you pick, what you believe, as long as your appetite's fulfilled, as long as you are sincere in what you pick. And there's one major problem, though, with this saying. When someone says it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, you can believe something sincerely and be sincerely wrong. You can actually sincerely believe something and be sincerely wrong. Because here's what matters most. What matters most is the object of your faith. Whatever you're placing your faith in, it's the object of your faith that matters more than the sincerity of your faith. Just because you sincerely believe something doesn't mean it makes it true. For example, I can sincerely believe with all my heart that the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl this year, okay? <laughs> if I do so, then the object of my faith are the Browns. It doesn't really matter how sincere I am. It more depends on the object I'm putting my faith in. I could say that I sincerely believe that we're not going to have winter this year in Cleveland. That the weather you're experiencing today will stay this way all the way until we hit spring of next year, okay? I can sincerely believe that. And I think we'd all put a bet on there and go, and you're sincerely going to be wrong. Why? Because the object of our faith would be weather in Cleveland. And we're pretty guaranteed that we're going to have some sort of winter. I can sincerely believe with all my heart that my 2010 Ford Focus or Ford Fusion is going to evolve into a 2020 Corvette during this message. <laughs> I could believe that with all my heart. But that doesn't make it true. You can sincerely believe something with all your heart, but sincerely be wrong. 
So what really matters is the object of your faith, not really the sincerity of your faith. And as Christians, the object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, When we survey the landscape of truth claims, of history, of religion, what makes sense, what historically is accurate, what's been proven, uh, what empirically makes sense, what logically makes sense, what's relevant. When we look at all those things, we land on Jesus Christ. And we believe that God has written his word, and so therefore we believe what God has said in his word about Jesus. And I'm not going to be in one text today, unpacking one text. I'm really going to be throwing multiple verses at you today. But some of the verses that we believe as Christians, as Jesus being the object of our faith, are these. Uh, It says here in God's word that there's salvation, that means forgiveness of sin, uh, access to heaven, avoidance of hell, relationship with God. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the object of our faith doesn't really matter how sincere we are because we believe what God says here. And he says also in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say take your pick. Confess something with your mouth. It's confess him. Okay? Confess that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't say just believe something in your heart. You've got to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what leads to salvation, forgiveness of sins, access to heaven, avoidance of hell. This is what God has taught us in his word. In 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13, God says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son, here's a little math equation for us, right? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, it's all about emphasizing Jesus as the object of our faith. In Philippians chapter 2, a very rich verse in Scripture, passage in Scripture, here's what we see about Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, now here's what we see about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he's God in the flesh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Here we have God compelled by his love for us, coming down in flesh. God wraps himself in flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who comes and allows his creation to crucify him, to Uh, kill him so that he may be a sacrifice for our sin. And because of that, look what verse 9 says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, read this next part with me, the name that is above every name. Jesus is the name above all names. Verse 10 says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's at the name of Jesus. There is no other name. And so throughout history, God has put this huge spotlight on his son. And whether it was general revelation from the, from the things we see in the outside to the revelation that God's given us of himself on the inside, his word, his son, the Holy Spirit, all of these put a spotlight on Jesus so that he can be the object of our faith. And this belief in Jesus as the only way to God pushes back hard against our postmodern culture. 
and, and the ideology that uh, creates religious pluralism. I just want to unpack those terms for a second. So a postmodern ideology says uh, that rejects beliefs in moral absolutes. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no truth. There's no error. There's no good. There's no bad, right? It's all just relative. Any version of truth is determined by an individual's personal views, circumstances, and feelings. You know you've been influenced by postmodernism if you believe that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for someone else is true for them, and we should all just be fine with that. That's postmodern thinking. I remember a conversation I had years ago uh, with, with a young woman, really probably the first time I really encountered this uh, years ago at such an intense level. I was speaking at a youth camp, about 1,000 high school students, and afterwards I just lingered and visited with some of the students. And this one young woman came up to me. She said, I'd like to talk to you about what you were speaking about. And of course I was speaking about Jesus and you know, him being the way, the truth, and life. And I said, well, let's talk. And she said, I just don't believe any of what you've said because my truth is different. And I said, well, tell me about that. And so she started basically unpacking classic postmodern ideology that my truth is my truth, your truth is your, tr your truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. It's all good. It all doesn't matter because as long as you're sincere, um, in the end, it's all going to be the same. And so I just started you know, unpacking this conversation with her a little bit. Two moments in the conversation I remember most. We were talking about scenarios. I just started asking her a series of questions. Well, what do you think about this situation? Well, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about this situation? And, and she was definitely in a postmodern mindset. Here's one of the questions I remember asking her. Do you think it's right in any situation, in any culture, that is justifiable for a man to rape a woman? And she says, well, it really would depend on the culture and the situation. I was like, wow. She just says, you know, if, if, that's, if that's their truth and that's okay for them and they're fine with that, then that's, that's their truth, but my truth is different. I'm like, okay, all right. And then a little later, uh, one of the questions I asked, I think it was the final question, I said, so, so let me get this straight. What were to happen if you were to jump out of an airplane with no parachute, no wingsuit at 20,000 feet? Do you think you would die? She goes, I'm not sure. She goes, if I really believe hard enough, with all my heart, I was very sincere, I might live through that. At this point in time, the internal voice in my mind is going, this girl fell out of her bunk in the middle of the night and bumped her head. <laughs> but this is, this is the, the way it went. Which, by the way, the next day I was in line at breakfast, and uh, I wasn't cutting, but I was talking to someone who was right in front of her, but she thought I was cutting, and she said, hey, 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 you're cutting. I was like, is that bad? <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> she just kind of gave me a look like, I think I'm going to stop talking now. So <laughs> that's postmodern thinking. And that postmodern thinking creates religious pluralism. Religious pluralism says that the belief that all religions, all religious views are equally true and acceptable. We're not talking about diversity. We're not talking about just mutual respect. We're not talking about the, the freedom to practice religions. It's that all beliefs and views are equally true and acceptable. And so this is the view that all beliefs are multiple paths that lead to the same God or gods. Now again, in a world that we live in, which is a world of a melting pot of diversity, we've got a lot of beautiful people from beautiful countries and beautiful backgrounds. It's amazing. We have diversity in ethnicity. We have diversity in religious expression. It's one thing, though, to say, can't we just show mutual respect? It's another thing to say that we're all mutually correct. It's a whole other topic to say that what you believe is true and what you believe is true, and it's all true. That's that religious pluralism. And here's the pressure that we feel as we walk through this life. The pressure is being put on us to believe this, that all religions are fundamentally the same with some superficial differences. 
But in reality, all, religious, all religions are fundamentally different with some superficial differences. So yeah, most of them, you know, let's love one another, let's treat each other with respect, let's, let's do good things. Those are some of the superficial um, similarities. But when you get down to the root of what a lot of religions believe, there are irreconcilable differences. And when someone says it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, sometimes what you need to hear is, I haven't really done any homework on any religion. I haven't really actually delved in to see what the differences are, so I'm just going to kind of put a carte blanche like it's all good. It's all good. Because if you start to delve into the differences, you start to go, wait a minute, they, they can't all be coexisting like we think they can. Like, for example, Buddhism, there's no personal God. Hinduism, many gods, many, 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 many gods, okay? Polytheism, New Age, you can become divine. You can become a god. Christianity, there's one personal god. So, can those all be true? Can there at the same time be no God, many gods? You can become a God, but there's only one personal God. No! They can't all be true at the same time. Uh, some parts of Judaism believe that there's no life after death. Some parts of Judaism believe that there is life after death. Can they both be true at the same time? Can there both be, yes, life after death, and no, not life after death? No, th those are irreconcilable differences. Classic Islam says you, you have a right to, in justification to kill those you view as infidels. But you study Buddhism and Hinduism, and it's like, no, no, peace, and you're forbidden to kill. And so can those both be on the same line as received as equal truths? No. So in reality, when we start to study religions, here's what we find. We can all be wrong, but there's no way we're all right. There's no way. They can't coexist. They, there's irreconcilable differences. Let's just take one concept and press into that press into that understanding okay let's take the concept of human error doing bad sin okay uh, would you agree that when you do something wrong when someone does something wrong there's a consequence that goes with it and there's usually punishment would you agree with that yeah when someone does something wrong there's to be a consequence there's to be a discipline okay let me ask you another question have you ever done something wrong okay you know, some of you going ah, i see where you're going with this <laughs> Look, if we've, admit, if we've admitted that there's a consequence for doing wrong, and then we've all done wrong, we've all thought bad things, done bad things, had bad attitudes, we've chosen not to do the right thing, then we just said we deserve a consequence. And God would agree with you. God says in his word that all have sinned, all have fallen short. And the consequence of violating God, the consequence of rebelling against God, is separation from his glory <laughs> in a place called hell. That's what God has told us. And so there's consequences. But how do some of the other religions, I know there's so many out there, I'm just touching on a few. How do some of the other religions speak to sin? Like, how do you get rid of it? How can you be forgiven of our wrongdoings? How can we atone for sins? So if you look at Judaism, for example, well, basically you need to be Jewish or you just need to follow the Jewish customs and practices. And those will eventually atone for your sin. So it's a, it's a religion of works. If it's Islam, you faithfully have to practice the five pillars of Islam. Fasting, praying, almsgiving, confessing Muhammad, and then a pilgrimage to Mecca. You have to do that to be atoning for your sins. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. It's works-based. In Hinduism, you've got karma. Reincarnation until you eliminate the evil in your life. 
And so you just keep going back around and around and around until eventually the evil is purged from your life and then you can be basically brought into the pure energy and reach enlightenment. Buddhism is very similar. There's no sin in Buddhism, right? It's not sin. And basically we live to eliminate the desires we have inside of us and eventually that leads to the state of unconsciousness and being absorbed to the essence of life known as nirvana. And then you've got Christianity, which says there was a Savior, that God sent a Savior, God in the flesh, Jesus, who atoned for our sins on our behalf, that went to the cross, died on the cross for the sins of man, became our atoning sacrifice, so that through him we can have access to God and forgiveness of sins. Can they all be right at the same time? No. It's irreconcilable. So you start to see the foolishness of, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, because what that statement really means is, I, I, we're probably not going to agree, but let's just get along. That's really what's there. And then the, the deeper thinker is really at a point going, but it's probably all the same anyways, but if you dig down deeper, it's not all the same. So again, we can all be wrong, but we can't all be right. Now we have uh, a religious freedom, and believe that everyone should express their beliefs with equal treatment and protection. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that our beliefs are equally true. Now, uh, sitting here today with that kind of a long, lengthy introduction, where does that leave us? Well, if, if you already know Christ and believe in Christ, today will just be a little refresher for you. But if you don't know Christ, you're watching online right now, you don't know Christ, my appeal to you is to consider the claims of Jesus compared to all other religions and religious leaders because he stands out among all of them. He has said things and done things that none of them will ever accomplish nor ever would thought to have say. And so for our time, I want us to look at six statements from Jesus that show us that what you believe matters. Because as you start to listen to the teachings of Jesus, you quickly realize he would never say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. He would say it matters very much what you believe. And then he would tell you how you need to believe. This is what Jesus would do. And this is what's so interesting about people because they look at Jesus and most people who aren't believers, are, they can be a fan of Jesus in the sense that they go, well, Jesus was a historical actual figure. Check. Believe that. That's good. Jesus taught good things. He was a good moral teacher. Check. But then they would not check the box of he's the exclusive way to God. And honestly, if they were to look at some of the deeping, deeper teachings of Jesus, they eventually would say, well, maybe I don't agree with Jesus after all. Once they hear what Jesus said about sin and hell and the wrath of God. So let's look at six statements from Jesus himself that shows us that what we believe actually matters. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, a lot of you are familiar with this verse. Jesus just said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound like it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? It doesn't. It doesn't. He's saying, I'm the only way to God. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to forgiveness. I'm the only, only way for the atonement of your sins. I'm the way. All the other religions will sound like this. Let me show you a way. Let me teach you a way. Let me talk about a way. Let me help you discover a way. Uh, this belief system is one way. Jesus didn't say anything like that. He said, I am the way. Exclusivity. Here's where we become a walking contradiction as humans. Because we look at that and listen to that and go, that doesn't seem fair, that there's only one way to heaven. 
And how arrogant of you to feel like you are the only person that knows the way. Yet at the same time, we like having one way too. For example, I imagine all of you have a PIN number to your bank account, to your debit card. Why don't you let other people allow their PIN number to work for your account? Are you okay with that one PIN number being the only way into your account? Yes, you are. You don't want anyone else tapping into your bank account. Some of you are like, it's so small, they can have at it, man. They can just get in all they want. <laughs> yeah, you like one way for what's important to you, but for some reason, you don't think God has the right to do that. You've got a key right now to your house. You've got a key to your car. Those things are valuable to you. It's really interesting that you probably would not like the idea of other people having their key able to get into your house. That if I were to walk up to your house right now and pull out my house key and just open it up and walk right on in, you're like, whoa, 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 this, this, is, this is kind of like a private residence. My key allows me access to who I feel should come and go. It's good for you as a human being, but then God has no right to have one key to his house? Are you serious? So here's the thing. If that's where we land, then who's the object of your faith? You are. You're the object of your faith. You make the declaration of what should happen, what shouldn't happen. Just like that girl I talked to at camp years ago. Who's the object of her faith? Herself. And so it's very contradictory to go, I'm really not happy that God is saying there's only one way into his house. I'm perfectly happy saying there's only one way into mine. It's a walking contradiction. And so this, is, this pushes against the exclusivity of Christ. This is what Jesus is saying. And so instead of being upset that there's only one way, we should be extremely grateful that God even provided a way at all. Because we don't deserve it. Jesus also said this. We are pretty familiar with John 3.16. People tend to stop at 16 and forget that 17 and 18 have a little more teeth to it. John 3.16 is a beautiful verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is Jesus saying this. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him, this is a reference to Jesus, is not, what's the word? Condemned. But whoever does not believe is, what's the word? Condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus is saying, if you don't have me, condemnation rests upon you for eternity. But once you come to me, that condemnation is re moved. Does this sound like Jesus is saying it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? <laughs> That's not what he's saying. John 3, 34 through 36. Jesus said this, for he, referring to himself, whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Let's just stop there. He utters the words of God. A lot of religious teachers have said good things, nice things, but none of them have been the words of God. Jesus speaks the words of God. And he gives the Holy Spirit. No one else does. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the, what's the word? Wrath of God remains on him. I have never had a loaded gun pointed at me. I hope I never experienced that. But I would imagine if I ever had a loaded gun pointed at me, I would feel feelings of fear. I would feel an urgency to try to resolve the situation so that uh, I do not need to be on the business end of that loaded gun. To be pointed at would be a very uncomfortable feeling. The wrath of God is pointed at those who do not know Christ. If you are sitting here today 
and you do not know Christ, if you're watching online and you do not know Christ, the wrath of God is aiming at you. If you're a follower of Christ, you know that wrath has been removed. It's no longer aiming at you. It was aimed at Jesus on the cross and God pulled the trigger and allowed His Son to take the hit for your benefit. But we have family and friends and neighbors and co-workers that the wrath of God is aiming at them. Jesus is saying, if you don't know me, the wrath of God is poured out on you. I'm not saying this. That guy at CBC, hey, I'm just telling you what Jesus said, okay? I'm just reading what Jesus said here. So if you've got issues with this, take it up with Jesus. I'm just reading what he said. John 8, 24. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Again, he's the only way out. He's the only way out. You know, thinking about Jesus talking about death and sins and, and sacrifice and all of these things reminds me that when you study all the major world religions, there's four very significant themes that you will encounter in the religions. You'll encounter evil. There's some sort of discussion about evil and why we have it and how we try to dodge it and all that kind of stuff. Um, love, how we should be loving and where, what's the source of love and how love is important. Justice, that somehow justice is served, that wrongs are made right. And then also forgiveness, that there's a way to receive forgiveness, to give forgiveness. Four major themes. We have uh, evil, love, we have uh, justice and forgiveness. There's only one moment in all of history where all four themes converged in one instant. And it was on a hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross because in that moment, evil was dealt with we had compelled by the love of God to which his justice was satisfied and forgiveness was granted in that moment to all of us. No other faith system even comes close. Jesus above all else. Another statement made by Christ. There was a conversation before he was handed over to be crucified. He was having a conversation with a Roman governor named Pilate. And they were having an exchange and Look what Jesus says to Pilate. Pilate says, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the, what's the word? Truth. There is truth, right? There is truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is saying, if you don't listen to my voice, you're not listening to truth. If you're listening to anyone else's voice other than mine, you're not listening to truth. But if you listen to my voice, you're getting truth. And if you want truth, listen to my voice. If you are reading scripture, you are hearing the words of God. You're hearing God's voice. You're hearing truth. If you are subscribing to some other book, some other teaching, some other teacher, it's not God's word and it's not truth. You have to come back to the words of Christ. That's why we are a Bible teaching church. Is we want the truth of God to be spoken, not opinion of man. And so the sad moment, though, is that Pilate then turned his back on him and walked away and said, what is truth? What is truth? What a sad situation there. And yet we all know people, maybe we are those people, maybe we've been those people that have turned our backs and walked away and said, what is truth? Last statement of Christ I want to look at is found in Matthew 7. 13 through 15. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. When you go to ancient cities, they have what's called gates. Don't think of a little gate in your yard. Think of the big entrance, the archway into the city wall. And there were large gates that you can get, you know, carts through and multiple people can all walk through the gate. And then there were small gates, small doorways that only one person at a time could pass. Jesus is saying when it comes to religion, when it comes to spiritual things, there's the large gate. A lot of people can come in and out, but they're going the wrong way. (coughs) They're going the wrong way. But then there's the small one. And only a few will get to that one, but they're going to be on the right path. And Jesus is saying, I'm that little gate. My voice, my truth, my teaching, my life is the little gate. The big gate, everyone else is going to go through that, and a lot of people will choose that instead. And so he's very clear about who he is and his truth. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you have truth, you will have error. Wherever wherever you have something authentic and real, you're guaranteed to have counterfeits. So you will have the authentic truth, the real deal, or you will have counterfeits. Let's use an example. I've got a $20 bill. If you were here last week, you're like, what's with all the money, Chad? (laughs) It's just easy to grab, easy illustration. This is a real $20 bill. It's not a counterfeit, but we know that there's counterfeits out there. But this is a real $20 bill. Yeah, I know you want that. I'm not, I can't give it to you. Sorry. Um, here's, the thing, here's, here's the thing. Let's say you went shopping. No, no, no. Scratch that. Let's say you own a shop. You are a business person. You own a shop. Some of you actually, that's a reality for you. And someone comes in to buy something from you, and they give you a $20 bill, a real $20 bill. Will you do business with them? Absolutely, right? So you take the currency, and you'll exchange goods. So because it's real. But we know whenever there's real, there's also counterfeits. There are funny money. So let me show you a picture of a counterfeit money, okay? <laughs> Asked my friend Christy, I said, can you just print something out like a fake bill? This is what she gives me. I'm like, thanks, Christy. Appreciate that. You're the same business owner. You're the same shop owner. That person's coming up to buy something from you, and they slide you across one of these. Are you going to do business with them? I hope not. (laughs) But what if they said, hey, look, I sincerely believe you will accept this as payment. You're going to say, well, I sincerely want to tell you, no, I won't. (laughs) But but, but you understand, this this is my truth. This is, this is what I believe I should pay you for what you have. So I sincerely believe this will work. Are you going to take it? No, you're not. Then they get clever. Because you know, if sometimes you have the real, you have the counterfeit, and then you have something in between that's a hybrid. It's a half-truth, right? You've got a half-truth. You know, Pastor Rick talked about this a couple weeks ago. That sometimes you have a half-truth. Like, enough of it sounds right. Enough of it sounds accurate. But then there's something really bogus attached to it. If that person tried to slide this across to pay for the goods, would you take it? No. You're not going to take it. Why? Because it doesn't work. It's not real. So I'm just sitting there going, okay, so let's just work that out for a second. Let's tease that out. So if you as a human shop owner will not receive a counterfeit bill when you need the real thing, why would we expect God to receive a counterfeit belief to give access to heaven instead of the real thing that he's provided? This is the situation we see unfolding when it comes to religion and faith and sincerity because What matters most is the object of your 
faith. Not the sincerity of your faith. I sincerely believe I should pay you this. This is the object I'm looking for. And Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the way that God provided, and that's where we should go. Tim Keller is a pastor and author. He's a brilliant man. He wrote a book called The Reason for God. If you've not read this book, I highly recommend it. Uh, A lot of times as Christians, we feel inadequate to give substance to why we believe what we believe. We may find ourselves feeling tempted to or reduced to saying something like, uh, you just have to have faith. Why do you believe in Jesus? Well, you just have to have faith. That's true, but it's inadequate to have a conversation. And so you need to do some study. You need to do some reading to give more substance and some more reason to why you believe what you believe. So this is a great book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller. In this book, he says a couple things I want to point to. One is this. It's It's no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions is right, namely that they're all the same. We are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion, just in different ways. And so when someone says, hey, look, it's not just one way, well, that's their one way of believing. (laughs) And so we're all being exclusive in some nature. That's why you got to go back to a source beyond yourself, back to a different object, which is Christ. He also shares a story He says, the faith that changes the life and connects to God is best conveyed by the word trust. He paints a story then. He says, imagine you're on a high cliff and you lose your footing and begin to fall. Just beside you as you fall is a branch sticking out of the very edge of the cliff. It's your only hope and it's more than strong enough to support your weight. How can it save you if your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you, but you don't actually reach out and grab it? If so, you are lost. If your mind is instead filled with doubts and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you still reach out and grab it anyway, you will be saved. Why? And here's what he says. It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. And so many people are falling off the cliff of sin The cross is a piece of wood, this branch sticking out that more than sufficiently can hold us. And some people argue with whether it can or not as they plummet to their eternal destruction. While others go, I'm not sure if this is really the truth, but I'm going to grab a hold of it and find out. And then are saved. And I hope all of you have grabbed hold of the cross and have grabbed hold of Christ. I hope a lot of you are moving away from just intellectually arguing what you actually need most. The object of your faith is more important than the sincerity of your faith. And the object is Christ. Here's three action steps I'd like to offer you today in light of what we just talked about. The first is to believe. Many of you already believe in Christ. I hope that today was just a refreshing reminder for you as to why we can believe what we believe. But it's very likely in a room this size with this many people, with an online audience, that some of you have not placed your faith in Christ. I I appeal to you, reach out and grab the branch. He's not going to answer all your questions right at once, but you'll get some questions to your, uh, you'll get some answers to your questions, and he's not going to answer all your questions, but he'll answer a lot of them. And so how do you get right with Christ? You just pray and tell him, you want in, basically. Uh, I don't need to lead you in anything. Uh, I, saw, I call it the ABCs of believing. A, admit you're a sinner. 
Admit that you're lost. You tell God, God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need you. B, you believe. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. And then C, I commit my life to following him. And so you, you have that conversation with God. But if you do, we would love to follow up with you to help you grow and, and, and um, enjoy this relationship with Jesus. On your response card in your program, just mark down that you're giving your life to Christ today. Give us an email. Give us a phone number. We'll get in touch, tell you how to grow. Maybe you're not ready for that yet. Maybe you just want to have a conversation like, I'm intrigued. I want to talk more about Jesus. Or I just want to have a conversation about this topic. Give us an email. Give us a phone number. Turn that in. Just say, we'd love to talk more about this. We'll get in touch with you. But the first application is to believe. Second is to defend. For those of you who are Christians, you have to defend your beliefs with more than you just got to have faith. And so uh, we have a wealth of resources, men and women of the faith that have written and um, spoke on this issue extensively, exhaustively. I don't have enough time or space to recommend, but here's just four reads that might find intriguing to you. There's a book by Ravi Zacharias called Jesus Among Other Gods. Phenomenal, brilliant um, man of Christ was raised as a Hindu and is now a strong follower of Christ and of the faith. Great book. A classic Case for Christ gives a journalistic view of believing in Jesus. Cold case Christianity, the man was a detective who uses detective deduction to consider the claims of Christ, brought him to Christ, and now he's packaged it that way. Very similar to Case for Christ, but very good. And then to everyone, an answer. Just, just many voices about how we can speak to what we believe, especially with the backdrop of other religions in this world. Just four of the many resources. Sometimes you need a quick answer on a topic, and you just, you know, you just want something to... To respond, this website's phenomenal. It's called gotquestions.org. Uh, I've had many people say, well, what about this? What about this? These, these pastors, these theologians have answered thousands of questions and put them online. Thousands. Some very complex, some very simple. And so I had a dad recently say, like, hey, my son asked me about, you know, if, if God's so loving, why is there bad? What should I say? And I said, well, here's a couple thoughts, but let me give you this website Punch that in. There's a very good answer there. It's very um, understandable and clear. And so that's another tool that you could have when it comes to defend. So believe, defend, and lastly, share. And if we realize that the wrath of God is aimed at the people we care about, why are we so quiet? Why are we so reluctant? We've got to share. So start by praying for them by name. Um, tell them your story about how you came to Christ, but your story is not most important. The story of Christ is most important. So learn how to share the gospel about um, Christ coming and forgiving our sins. The three circles is a, is a conversation guide we recommend, but there's others out there, but learn how to share Christ. And so, yes, there's a lot of beliefs out there. There's a lot of different directions we can go, but it does matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe because the object of your faith matters a lot more than the sincerity of your faith. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for today and this time. Lord, this time is from you. We're grateful for it. We're thankful that we can sit down and open and read and discuss and connect. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now that you would just give them the courage to pray and share their faith, pray for the lost, share, share their faith. Lead us, Lord, to people who need to know about you. Lead us to those who have accepted counterfeits, who have bought the lie that it's all the same, it's all equally true. God, let us be loving, let us be courageous, let us engage. 
Father, I pray for anyone here, anyone listening that doesn't know you as Savior, that today they would take that first step of faith, whether that's just a conversation or whether that's full-blown belief in Jesus as Savior. Help them to do that even now. So God, we love you. Help us to be light and salt, to be missionaries each and every day for your glory, for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Amen.